Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. The American novelist Joyce Carol Oates lost her husband after 47 years of marriage. When she was going through his belongings after his passing, she found some things that she had not known that he had. Among them was an evaluation by a psychiatrist. She had known that. But what she didn't know was what the psychiatrist had written. The psychiatrist had written that at that point in his life, her husband was, and this was the term, love-starved. Love-starved. Somehow that term caught in her mind, and she couldn't get rid of it. She would later write, it should not fill me with unease to learn this after Ray's death and so many years after it had happened. But he hadn't told me. It was his secret. He had been love-starved. Now, you might not use that particular term to refer to your own desire for love, but the truth is we all want to be loved. We all want to love. We yearn for a love that is deep and lasting and intimate and permanent. There's a paradox about love, probably captured best in the words of the American writer Frederick Beekner. He writes about this paradox of love by saying, if I can get my recently dried hands on it, <laughs> of all powers, love is the most powerful and the most powerless. It is the most powerful because it alone can conquer that final and most impregnable stronghold, which is the human heart. It is the most powerless because it can do nothing except by consent. The most powerful and the most powerless, love. Today we begin a journey with Paul on the fruit of the Spirit, found in Galatians chapter 5. If you're familiar with that passage, you will know that right at the top of the list of virtues that make up the fruit of the Spirit is this virtue called love. But we need a little bit of background, a little bit of context to be able to appreciate what Paul is doing when he writes about the fruit of the Spirit. So we talk a little bit about Galatians. Galatians is Paul's most passionate letter. It is so passionate, in fact, that listen to how one Bible handbook describes what's happening in Galatians. It says, Galatians is the most emotionally charged book of the Bible. As you read it, you can almost see the thick purple veins popping out on Paul's neck as he unloads on the misguided Christians of Galatia. What in the world? Paul is indeed filled with ire. 
filled with passion. It doesn't take long of perusing the letter to realize that. Six verses in, he, he calls them to task. He says, what has happened to you? How have you abandoned the gospel I preach to you? If there's another preacher, in fact, even if there's an angel from heaven that preaches a different gospel, they're wrong. He feels this very deeply. And as you continue through the letter, it only gets more explosive. Galatians 3, starting the chapter, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has you under a curse? Wow, he is feeling this, isn't he? And then you come to Galatians 5, and he reaches the height of his fervor. To understand what he says in Galatians 5, you have to know that at stake was the issue of circumcision. Should people who had chosen to follow Jesus, men who had chosen to follow Jesus, be circumcised or not? To that question, Paul gave a firm no. They do not have to be. But there was a group of missionaries who had arrived in the Galatian churches and were beginning to spread their version of the gospel, and they were saying, yes, you do have to be circumcised. Paul reaches the epitome of his passion in Galatians 5. I'm going to guess you haven't heard this passage read too often in church because what Paul actually says is, for those who are teaching this, I wish they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Paul, Paul, please ease off a bit. Have you read it in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message? He says, I wish they would go the whole way and castrate themselves. Paul, please, why are you so upset? As my Aussie friend and colleague Chris Stanley would say it, steady, Paul, steady, steady, just ease down. Well, here's what's at stake. The gospel is at stake. Paul has told them the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, which provides for us the free gift of God's grace, can never be earned. You can never do anything to deserve it. That is not what is at stake here. What Jesus is offering you is a free gift. Those who are coming are wanting to enslave you again and tell you there are things you have to do in order to deserve it. Paul realizes that the core reality of Christian faith is at stake. And that's why he's so passionate. Nothing you can do to deserve it. Now that does raise a question. It's a question that was apparently raised at that time, and it's a legitimate question for us to raise today. If there is nothing I can do to earn it, does that mean that it doesn't matter how I live. I can live any old way, do any old thing, and it won't matter. It's just to heaven in an easy chair. I want to remind you of a quote we've shared before from Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, teacher of philosophy down at USC, who maybe put it more succinctly and simply than anybody I've ever seen. Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort, grace is opposed to merit. You can never deserve it. But there are things that you will have to do in following Jesus that will not be easy. It's kind of like being a parent. 
When you're a parent and your little one wakes you up at 3 a.m. and you roll over in the bed and hope that your wife thinks you're asleep, there is not anything in you that is wishing, oh, I can't wait to go in there and clean up the vomit and change the diaper and sit there for an hour and a half trying to get him to go back to sleep. There's nothing within you that's wanting to do that, but you do it because you're a parent. That's just what parents do. That's the way parents manifest their love. Oh, there are things to do in the Christian journey, but there is nothing we can do to deserve the grace that Christ bestows. So Paul addresses that. You heard it in the Scripture reading. You heard him saying, be careful with the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. And he gave this long list of dastardly deeds which will emerge from the human heart if there is no control by the Spirit placed upon it. And then at the end of that, we come to the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Now, let's stop right there. Don't go any further. Because that one word Paul uses, fruit, alerts us to several realities that will be true about the fruit of the Spirit. Several realities. First reality, there's four actually that I'll mention. First reality is the fruit of the Spirit is in the singular. The Greek word karpos, translated fruit, is a singular noun. We might have thought that he would say, in light of the fact that he's going to give us a list of, of nine different virtues, we might have thought that he would say, but the fruits of the Spirit are. He doesn't do that. The fruit of the Spirit is. Listen to this from one Bible commentary. One should note that fruit is singular, indicating that to Paul, spiritual life is a unity, and that all of these qualities which he is about to mention are found whenever one is led by the Spirit. Paul is talking about an integrated life in which the Spirit of God within us grows fruit that is varied. He does not want to, apparently, communicate the idea that for a while you work on love till you're pretty good at loving, and then you work on joy till you're pretty good at jo being joyful, and then you work on peace and patience and so forth. That's not what Paul is trying to communicate. He is saying that the Spirit in your heart and life will revolutionize every aspect of who you are. And the fruit that grows will have many virtues, but the fruit of the Spirit is singular, integrated life. The second thing is that word fruit tells us whatever it is that's coming is going to take time. You don't grow fruit overnight. You don't plant the seed today and harvest the fruit tomorrow. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, I went online to find out what some of my favorite fruits would take to grow. Here's what I found, how long it takes each plant or tree to produce fruit. Strawberries, blackberries, raspberries, two years. Blueberries, three to five. Plums, three to six. Pears, four to six. And mangoes, the fruit of heaven, when planted from a seed, five to eight years. It takes time. 
So when you come to Jesus and walk with him and grow in him and the Holy Spirit is in your heart and life, don't expect that overnight you're going to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and all the others overnight. It's a process of growing fruit. It takes time. The third and fourth ones are related to each other. When Paul says fruit, we know immediately he's talking about results, not about causes. Because fruit is the result of a healthy plant. Fruit is not the attempt to be a healthy plant. It's the result of that. The fourth reality is the cause of that is under the surface. Down in the roots, if you want good fruit, make sure the roots are healthy and nurtured and watered and strong because good roots will lead to good fruits. So Paul starts out right away giving us some clues as to what the nature of the fruit of the Spirit is. But let's go back now and read it more fully. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, sometimes translated patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So right at the top of the list, love. That reality that is the most powerful and the most powerless, said Beekner. That reality of which we all are aware of our need. We want to be loving and we want to be loved. Love is at the top of the list. The question is, what are we to make of each one of these? Because Paul doesn't give us information right here as to what he means by each one of these terms. This will be true with every one of them. It's just a list. So how are we to understand what love is? When I was a student at Andrews University, I had to do a project defining love. And so I decided in my dorm room, I'm just going to call random numbers and ask people what love is. (laughs) You may not want to try that, but... So I did. I started with on-campus numbers, and people would answer, and hello, and I'd say, "Uh, could you tell me what love is? I remember one woman in the dorm, I said, could you tell me what love is? She said, love is pain. Boink. Hung up on me. (laughs) So I decided, okay, I've got a feel for on-campus. I'll call off-campus. So I dialed a random off-campus number. This gentleman answered the phone, hello. I said, sir, what is love? (laughs) There was a silence. And then he said, look it up in the dictionary. (laughs) He hung up. (laughs) So what is love? What does Paul mean when he places love at the top of the list and does not footnote it so as to explain it? How do we know what's in his mind? Well, what we'll need to do today and what we'll need to do throughout this series is look in one of four or more than one, maybe, different places. One, what is the meaning of the the word in the original language? Two, does Paul use that word anywhere else in Galatians? That will help us. Three, if he doesn't, does he use it anywhere else in all of his writings? And if he doesn't, is it used anywhere else in all of Scripture? Those can be ways to get at the meaning of the term. Love. What is the word in the original language? It's actually a word that you know. 
Whether you've ever been to seminary or not, ever studied a Greek class or not, I'm guessing that most of you know it because the word right there is the word agape. Agape. Deep, other-centered, self-sacrificing, action-based. has nothing to do with warm, gooey feelings. It has to do with a high and holy principle that acts in the best interest of the other. That's the word he uses. Love. Agape. Then our question is, does Paul use that word anywhere else in Galatians? It's interesting to note that he uses agape five times in Galatians. One, we have just read right here at the head of the list of the fruit of the Spirit. That's one, but there are four others. So what might those four other places indicate to us about love? Well, three of them take place right here in Galatians 5. One is in Galatians 5 and verse 6. Here's what Paul writes there. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I've been warned. Don't ever use grand language. Don't ever say the only thing. Because somebody will come up with an exception. But Paul has no fear of that. He says, circumcision, uncircumcision means nothing. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through agape, through love. In other words, it's a faith that is so robust, it will not stay internalized. It moves outward toward others. And when it does so, it acts in loving ways. The only thing that matters, he says. Wow. I love the one line, the one sentence from the book Great Controversy, Ellen White, that seems to me to line right up with what Paul is saying. Here's what it is. It is love alone which makes any act of value in the sight of heaven. So, in this use of the word, we could say that what Paul is saying is what matters most is love. Active, other-centered, self-giving love. The two other times he uses agape in this chapter come one verse apart, verses 13 and 14. So let's read Galatians 5, starting with verse 13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Again, the action that he calls for in the use of that word. Then next, for the entire law, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So what has he said in these two uses of the word? One, he says, love is active. It goes out. It serves others humbly. That's love. And then he says, and again, he's using grand language. He says, the entire law can be fulfilled in one act. Love 
your neighbor as yourself. That's rather stunning, to be honest with you. It does remind me of the words of Patrick Morley, the ministry leader. I think he gets it right when he says, the height of our love for God will never exceed the depth of our love for one another. The height of our love for God will never exceed the depth of our love for one another. In other words, it's wonderful to come to church and to worship. It's wonderful to hear the Loma Linda Academy, Academy Wind Symphony, to hear our choir, to hear people stand up and lead us in the worship and the praise of God. And we stand and we sing and we think, this is the height of spiritual experience. But you know what Paul would say? As wonderful as that is to praise God together, and it is, that is not where you measure whether or not the fruit of the Spirit is growing in your life. Where you measure that is are you humbly serving your neighbor, loving your neighbor as yourself? What matters most is love. So there you have it. Four uses of the word in Galatians. Each one underlining that reality that what matters most is love. But we did say five, right? There is one more time it is used, this time in the verb form. It's toward the earlier part of Galatians. It comes in a section when Paul is showing the Galatian churches his credentials as an apostle. Here are my credentials. He knows when he has a letter as stern and as strong as this, people will push back vigorously. And more than likely, the chief method in which they will push back is to question his apostolic credentials. You're not even an apostle. You weren't an eyewitness to Jesus. Send us John. Send us Peter. Send us one of the ones who were eyewitnesses. You haven't even been an eyewitness. And Paul says, oh, no. He spends about two and a half chapters unpacking his credentials how he was an eyewitness to the risen Christ on the Damascus Road and all of the other elements that made him an apostle. It is in the midst of that defense, that apostolic defense, that we find the one other place where agape appears in Galatians. It's a verse we know well. It's Paul's summary of the life he now lives as an apostle of Jesus Christ and what it is that gives him that right. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, agape, and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, every sermon I preach, every epistle I pen, every risk I take, every church I found, 
every disciple I mentor, every theological truth I expound. In fact, everything I do in my life is done empowered by one reason, and that is he loved me and gave himself for me. And because of that love, the life I now live is not even mine. It's not even me that you're seeing, but it's Christ. He loved me, and that's what matters most. So when we read in Galatians 5, and 23, the list of virtues and see that love is at the top of the list, and our question is, why is it there? What does that mean? What is love? We know it's agape, other-centered, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. But we also know from his other uses the value he places on it. Not only does he place it first on the list. Galatians 5, 6 our relationship to God, love matters most. Galatians 5.13, our relationship to others, love matters most. Galatians 5.14, our relationship to the law, love matters most. And Galatians 2.20, God's relationship to us, love matters most. No wonder Paul places that virtue at the top of the list of the fruit of the Spirit. If I struggle, if you struggle with love, maybe what we need to do is not work harder or try harder, but to pray deeper. Lord, fill me with your spirit because your spirit will grow the fruit of love. December of 1943, a family, four members, were transported from Czechoslovakia to a place called Auschwitz-Birkenau. Kurt and Vilma, mom and dad, John and Misa, two sons. For some reason, which has been lost to history, they were placed in the family camp at Auschwitz for a period of time and actually had the opportunity to still be together for a while. But the inevitable moment came, the moment when they were separated. 12-year-old Misa was sent to death row. His dad, Kurt, was sent to another place, part of the camp. 16-year-old John. When the kids appeared before the angel of death, Dr. Joseph Mengele, Mengele made a swift choice. John, you see, had a pronounced limp in his walk. And to limp like that, in the Nazi doctor's mind was to be handicapped, and to be handicapped was a certain and swift ticket to the gas chamber. So John was immediately condemned to the gas chamber. And Vilma, the mother, Vilma could not entertain the thought that her beloved son John would die alone and so she said, I will go with him. Same to us. And so she, too, was placed in the group that soon the trucks would pick up and transport to the gas chamber. 
somehow, almost miraculously, Vilma was able to secure a pen and a piece of paper. And she wrote a letter. Wrote a letter to her husband, her beloved Kurt. The letter survives to this day at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., where the curators say, we have no other document in all of the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pieces of documents and belongings and leftovers from that diabolical time. We don't have another piece like this which gives us a clear insight into the mind of a healthy person about to die. I want to share with you some excerpts from Vilma's letter to Kurt Grunwald, her husband, Tuesday, 11-7-1944. You are my only one, my dearest. In isolation, we are waiting for the darkness. We consider the possibility of hiding, but decided not to do it since we felt it would be hopeless. The famous trucks are already here, and we are waiting for it to begin. I am completely calm. You, my only and dearest one, do not blame yourself for what happened. It was destiny, our destiny. We did what we could. Stay healthy and remember my words that time will heal, if not completely, then at least partially. Take care of the golden boy. Here she refers to 12-year-old Misa. Take care of the golden, little golden boy. And don't spoil him too much with your love. Both of you stay healthy, my dear ones. I will be thinking of you and Misa. Live well. We must board the trucks. Into eternity. Your Vilma. When the letter was found in belonging, it was several decades before Misa was able to read it. But when he finally had the courage to read it, he would say, my mother's brave words lacked any anger or hatred toward the Nazis, and instead she was just so positive. She was more interested in my father's life and in my life than in her own terrifying situation. I suspect that if Paul had lived to read that letter, he would have penned one word at the top, agape. You know, in the end, it's what really matters. The day will come, the time will come, when the story of our lives will be written, and whether our lives reflected the deeds of the flesh of Galatians 5, 
or the fruit of the Spirit of Galatians 5. When that time comes, I pray that for you, I pray that for me, it might be said, in their lives, it was love that mattered. Gracious God, our hearts are deeply stirred to contemplate this most powerful and powerless of virtues, love, the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.